Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. We are currently in stage two of our COVID-19 response where the church building is open for you to join us in person for worship. However, we will continue to broadcast the service live at 10 a.m. each week. Now, here's this week's message. Although it's not the way I would have liked to be here just through technology, I can be here with you. Uh, Today, we're continuing our Behold series. We're on week three. And remember, we've learned that when we see the word behold in scriptures, it's a time, uh, the author is is telling us to pause, to pay attention, to, um, because they are pointing out something unexpected or they're expressing surprise. Now remember this time, Christmas is all about surprises, isn't it? Isn't that one of the great things about Christmas is being surprised of presents and gifts that people give us? Well, on that, I have a question. Have you ever been surprised of how someone stepped up or stepped in for you? Have you ever been surprised that someone advocated for you? I'll never forget when my chaplain did that for me. I'm not sure if I told you this story or not, but here we go. You see, when I was in the Army National Guard, my job was a chaplain assistant. And now as a chaplain assistant, my primary duty was to protect the chaplain. You see, according to the Geneva Convention Code, the chaplain cannot carry a rifle. They are not allowed to do things like that. And so they have a chaplain assistant, which is me, and my job is to protect them to make sure they're okay. I carried the rifle for both of us. So that was my job, but along with that, I was able to serve chaplains in ministry, and chaplain assistants can serve all sorts of chaplains. It doesn't matter their religious affiliation. Our job isn't to be the religious person. Our job is to protect and help. But luckily for me, I served a Protestant or Baptist chaplain. Well, when we were deployed, we were on installation. We were the installation's ministry team, meaning we ministered to Air Force, Army, Marines, even Coast Guard, right, and the Navy. All of them were on our base, and we were able to, to serve them. And I was the NCOIC, meaning I was a non-commissioned officer in charge of the chapel on that base. I was in charge of it. And the chapel is supposed to be a neutral environment that different chaplains uh, could come in and use our facilities for their time of worship. And if anybody needed to use the chapel or schedule the chapel, they went through me and I made ensured that it was up um, to the standards for them and made sure it was clean and all that kind of stuff. Well, one week, every week actually, an 06, which is a full bird colonel, pretty high position in the army, a step right below the general, would come and hold Catholic mass. He was a full bird Catholic priest. And they are few and far between in the military, especially in the army. So when he would come to our base to hold mass, I would have to set up for him. And as you may know already, I'm, I'm not Catholic, right? So I didn't know about all of, of their things. They had little instructions about the different colors I put up and the different, um, you know, plates and cups and chalices and just all the different things he needed. And I would set up weekly for him, all their special religious things. Well, one Sunday, well, that colonel, he got mad at me right after mass and he lit into me. You see, what I didn't know is according to their faith and practice, 
He has to consume all of the communion elements. They can't leave anything left. And so every Sunday I would set up for him. Remember, Catholics use real wine. So he had a big old chalice he used for, you know, purposes, illustrates, everybody could see it, things like that. I filled it all the way to the brim with wine. And then for his mass, he had about 20 people there. I put 100 wafers in the communion um, you know, the, the, the thing for the, the wafer holder. I don't really know what it's called. But I put a hundred of them in there for him. And I didn't know he had to consume everything. I was just trying to make it nice and neat just in case he had a lot of people that came. Well, one Sunday, he just, after service, he lit into me because he had to call people back. So I'm trying not to laugh. He had to call people back for seconds for the communion wafers. They had so many leftovers. And it's in the desert. It's 100 and some degrees. He drank a full cup of wine. Pretty sure he caught a little buzz. Full cup of wine after, well, at that service. And as far as military etiquette is concerned, if you didn't know, an 06 colonel should not be yelling at me. I was enlisted. I was an E4 corporal. You see, he outranked me far too much. If he were to yell at me or fuss at me, there's absolutely nothing I can say. He is, he's, he's way too high in the ranks. In fact, on our base, we had over a thousand people and he outranked all of them. When he'd come on base, he'd be the highest ranking official. The, the commander of the base was an 05 lieutenant colonel. He was an 06 full bird colonel. So nobody on that base outranked him. I was way down the chain in military rankings. And he just laid into me. I couldn't explain myself. I couldn't have a conversation. I mean, he, he should have talked to the staff sergeant who could have talked to me. He could have talked to the, my chaplain who could have talked to me. And this wasn't a humility thing. When he chewed me out, I wasn't being humble. I didn't have a choice. So I just took it. After it was all over, I remember going to my chaplain going, look, I'm just letting you know, giving you a heads up. I just got chewed out by a full board colonel. He got mad at me, got upset with me, and my chaplain heard we, and we moved on. I just figured he should knew just in case stuff started rolling down the chain. Well, the following week, I was setting up for him to have mass again. And, you know, of course, after the, the previous week, I wanted to make sure it was okay. Got there a bit early for him. And after the last incident, you know, just, just wanted to smooth things over. So I was there setting up, and I remember I saw my chaplain come in from the back of the chapel to come talk to the colonel. And I just figured he was making sure everything was okay after the last chewing out. And I'll never forget what happened next. That captain, my chaplain, walked right up to that colonel and said, listen, you can't talk to him that way. I'll never forget that. My jaw dropped. I mean, my chaplain, he was a, he was a captain, but he was previously a military, uh, excuse me, an infantry officer, meaning he was to the T for military regulations. He was all about proper military etiquette and him coming up to a full bird colonel saying, listen, you can't talk to him like that. He's not Catholic. He didn't know. He stepped in to defend me. Well, I would never think he would do something like that. I couldn't imagine him doing that because that's not something you do. I'll never forget what happened next. He locked my chaplain up. What that means is he told my chaplain to stand at attention. What attention is, is you have to put your legs together, your arms to the side, and look straight ahead. By military standards or army standards, you are not allowed to move. 
You can breathe. You can't move your head. You can't have a facial expression at the position of tension. You are not allowed to talk. He locked my chaplain up in front of me, told him to stand at attention, got about this close to his face, kicked me out of the chapel, said, get out. And my chaplain, well, he got chewed out too. I'll never forget that. All I could do is I rushed out that chapel with a smile because I could not believe that he did that. You know, I wasn't smiling because he was getting chewed out. I was smiling because he stepped in for me. He stepped up for me. He was looking out for me. Have you ever had someone do that for you? Have you ever had a ball stand in the crossfires and stand up for you and look out for you? Have you ever had someone come to your aid or, or, or get you that raise or talk about that promotion or, or put in that good word for you when you didn't think anybody would do that for you? Have you ever had someone help you when you couldn't help yourself and you just needed somebody to come through? Or maybe even better, have you ever been that person? Have you ever stepped up and been there for someone in need when they were just down and out? Maybe you saw that something wasn't right. Maybe you saw they weren't getting the credit or maybe you saw that they needed that raise or maybe you saw they could use that bonus or maybe you saw their family really needed help and you knew it would cost you. You knew it would take something from you, but you stepped up and did it for them anyways. If you've ever experienced people doing that for you, or maybe you've been that person, you know that it can be life-changing. And so today in the scriptures, we're going to look at a story of people doing just that. We're going to look at a story about people stepping up and stepping in, doing what they needed to do to help their friend. And it caused a disruption. It caused people to get frustrated. But they did what I truly believe they did is they did for one what they wish they could have done for everyone because they knew and perhaps you know that one person really is important. One person meeting Jesus can be life-changing. And one person, well, let me show you. The story we're going to jump into is found in Matthew. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it. It's found in Matthew chapter 9. In fact, this story is recorded in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to read Matthew's account, but we're going to use Mark to fill in some of the blanks because Matthew focuses on something a little bit differently. But, but here's the setting. Jesus has just done some shocking things in a neighboring town. It has to do with possessed bacon. If you didn't know if that was a thing, if you didn't even know that was possible, you should read your Bible because there's some pretty interesting things in there. And I'm telling you, if you think the Bible's boring, you should check it out. Read it for yourself. So this town was afraid and they asked Jesus to leave because they saw how powerful he was and so he does. Look what Matthew tells us next, Matthew 9. It says, and getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold... Remember, that's that word we're looking for. Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on the bed. Here's that word we're looking for, 
For behold, pay attention to the details. Some people brought to Jesus a paralyzed man. Now, Matthew leaves out a very important detail, one that may bring this story to remembrance for you. I'm sure you've heard it before because Matthew focuses more on the reaction of the people than he does of what the friends are doing. But Mark records it for us. Look at this. So there's a paralytic that comes. Look what Mark tells us. He says, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So here it is. We, we see the story. These men, these four men wanted to get their friend to Jesus. And I imagine what happens, they brought him on some type of stretcher. It says, Matt, they brought him to Jesus. They knew he was going to be in this place, and they saw that it was packed. They saw that it was crowded. Nobody was following COVID restrictions back then, right? They were all crammed in, and they got to this place, and they saw it was so filled up. They said, we can't get in. And I imagine the paralytic said, hey, guys, you, you, you tried. Thanks. I know you said you were going to do it, but it, look, it's just not going to work out. It's impossible. I'm sure one friend looked at it and said, let's drop him down. And I bet the other friend, the, you know, one friend said, let's get up on the roof and bring him down. One friend said, no, 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 that's illegal. You can't do that. Do you know what the city codes are around here? Shh, we can't, we can't do stuff like that. Another friend probably said, well, that'll cause a disruption. And football's on anyways. I mean, can't we just go, you know, you know, football. But another friend said, no, no, no. Do you know what the cost will be to fix that? Let's first get three estimates. We'll come back in six weeks after we get these estimates. Then we'll figure out if we can really do this. And I don't know if that really happened or not, but that's what kind of happens to us, doesn't it? Somebody has some bold faith to do something a little bit, you know, crazy it may seem. And everybody else is like, I don't, I don't know. Regardless of well, what did happen is they got up on this roof and they tore a hole in it. Which think about it, this would have caused a massive annoyance. Remember, the building is jam-packed with people. The, the roof is made of straw and mud. So they are digging through straw and mud. And if you hear a noise up, what do you do? Well, I already know what you do because when you hear a sound in here, everybody's eyes goes to it, right? We look at the sound. We see what's happening. So if a sound was up here, everybody's looking up and what's falling in their eyes? Mud, dirt, and straw. I mean, they got their good robes on. They just got their hair done and mud and dirt. So the crowd's getting aggravated. Dirt's falling everywhere. But they did it anyways. They said, we're getting our friend to Jesus. They said, we're doing whatever it takes, whatever consequences come our way, relationally, legally, or financially, it doesn't matter because the one is more important than that. Do you ever felt that way? Do you understand that one human being is more important than your reputation? It's more important than your finances. It's more important than, than all those other things we get concerned about. Look at Matthew, verse 2, it says this. And when Jesus saw their faith, what do you mean he saw their faith? How does he see their faith? Because they're digging through a roof. He can see their faith because he's digging through it. So it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. 
All right, let's unpack this for a second. Notice how Jesus honors their faith. He honors the faith of the people who brought to Jesus this man. The man couldn't do it. The man was paralyzed. But Jesus takes into account the efforts of all of those involved. Evidently, Jesus likes crazy faith. He honored their efforts. Also notice what Jesus doesn't say. Notice Jesus doesn't stop and say, well, what about everybody else? Because surely if this place was packed, surely there were sick people in their midst. People everywhere knew Jesus was healing. So wherever he went, the people went. I'm sure outside of this place, there were people who were hurt, the people who couldn't be cured. We see that all over in Jesus' ministry. Notice Jesus doesn't stop and say, what about everybody else? Jesus just recognizes their faith says, take heart. (laughs) You're willing to do that. I know what you believe. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. But they didn't bring their friend to be forgiven. They wanted him to be healed. And Jesus uses this to blow everyone's mind, and perhaps yours, definitely mine, with what he does next. Because they're concerned about the physical But Jesus said there's something more going on. You see, notice the connection between sin and sickness. Now, Matthew doesn't take the time, nor do any of them, take the time to explain why bad things happen to good people. We don't have that answer. Nor does he make the connection, this is important, nor do any of them say this man was sick, he was paralyzed because of his sin. They don't say that either. What we must remember and what Jesus knew and what we see throughout the scriptures is the basis of all sickness is sin. The reason why sickness exists is because when sin entered the world, sickness came with it. Not necessarily the sins you commit. I'm not saying the reason why you're sick or the reason why you're hurt is because of the sin you've done. I'm saying the world is sick, the world is hurt. Those exist because of sin. Jesus isn't blaming him for his condition. Jesus is getting to the root issue we all need to deal with. You see, if the story was just about paralyzed people, it wouldn't affect everybody. But because Jesus deals with the greater issue, because Jesus deals with sin, we can all lean into the story. Say, how does he forgive sin? And we learn something amazing. That Jesus has the fix. Jesus has the solution for the forgiveness of sins. You see, they came for a physical healing, but he goes far and beyond. We call that generosity. He goes far and beyond from the, the physical and he gets to the spiritual, extends his generosity and gives them far more than they wanted. Look at verse three. Look what happens when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And behold, all right, Matthew's like, hold on. Now pay attention to these guys. Pay attention to these ones who always want to criticize Jesus. Pay attention to these ones who always have something negative to say. Have you ever met someone that's always negative and always has something negative to say? Remember, if you don't know anybody like that, there's a good chance you are that person. Moving on. It says, and behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, the religious people, this man is blasphemy. He's blasphemy. Mark helps us out. Mark 2 verse 6 tells us this. It says, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow, they call Jesus a fellow, isn't that interesting? Why does this fellow talk like that? 
He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, what's going on is prophets and what they thought Jesus was, they could do miraculous things. They could heal people. They could even call fire down from heaven, some of them. But no one could claim to forgive sins. No one can forgive sins, especially on their own authority. And they're being biblical. Look at what Isaiah says. Isaiah 43, 25 says this. It says, I, even I, this is God, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. God says, I am in the business of blotting out your transgressions. I am the only one and the one who can forgive your sins. So when Jesus says he can forgive sins, they're saying, you can't do that. Only God can do that. Well, knowing their thoughts. If you didn't know, thinking something around Jesus never works out good for people. It says, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Why do you entertain evil thoughts? And this is such a powerful question. You see, all those negative thoughts, all those sins we get involved with, did you know they all come from entertaining it? Usually play it around. Hey, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? I don't know. It seems really good. Then we start fantasizing about it. Then we start thinking about things we shouldn't do. The next thing we're actually doing. So Jesus is saying, why are you even entertaining? Why are you even thinking? You need to just throw that stuff aside. Remember, Paul says, capture those negative thoughts. Paul says, no, bring them in submission to the gospel. If, if something opposes Jesus, get rid of those thoughts because they're not true. So Jesus says, why are you entertaining these evil thoughts? And then he gives them a riddle. You gotta love Jesus for this. He says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Now, it's a trick question. Here's why. Which is easier to say? Well, of course, saying that your sins are forgiven is much easier than saying, get up and walk. Because if Jesus says your sins are forgiven, there's no way of them knowing it's true. Right? How, how do you know if someone's sins are forgiven? You can't see that. However, if Jesus says get up and walk and the guy doesn't get up and walk, well, they immediately know Jesus is wrong. So which is easier to say? Well, of course saying your sins are forgiven. However, if Jesus says he can forgive sins, then he's God because only God can forgive sins. But then who can actually heal a paralyzed person unless God is working through them? You see, Jesus gives them a riddle. He's, he's making them think, like, what do you, which is easier? What do you want me to do here? How do you want me to show you? But before they can figure out how to get it out of the mess they've created, he says this. He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Watch this. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. <laughs> said, get up. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. You see, Jesus wants to put our minds and their minds at rest. He proves to them the truth of who he is. If he can make paralyzed people walk by just the sound of his words, by just saying, get up and walk. 
If he can do that, then we know he can do the other things he says. He proved to them, look, you want to know how when I said their sins being forgiven, do you want to know how, I, you want to know how that's true? You want to know that I have the authority? Watch this, get up and walk, and the man does it. So this man is not only here physically, but also spiritually. You see, the story starts off, why this is so powerful and what this should remind us of is the story starts off showing us the great lengths in which people will go for others. They go this extra mile to take care of their friend. But in the conclusion of this, when it gets down to forgiveness, when it comes down to the authority of Jesus, this concludes by reminding us the one who ultimately stepped up and stepped in for us. Because whether or not you know it, we've all had someone step in in our time of need. We've all had someone advocate for us, and that person is Jesus Christ. You see, the reason why Jesus says that our sins are forgiven is because he was going to pay the penalty for our sins. He says, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. Young man, your sins are forgiving. Jesus did for all what none of us could do on our own. You see, this season, we are reminded to help others, to give to others, and never forget the reason why we're generous, the reason why we give gifts, the reason why we think of other people is because of the great gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. The great gift that Jesus has given, the forgiveness of our sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who wants to. And can forgive you. See, when my chaplain stepped up and stepped into my, situa- into my situation, it showed me something about him. See, we didn't always have the best relationship. We didn't get along that well. But he stepped in. I saw how much he truly did care. I saw that when it mattered and when I was in need, he would be there to help. And when someone does something for you like that, when someone goes out of their way or someone steps in the crosshairs and someone deals with the situation for you, you then can interpret everything else through that act. It then allowed me to see my chaplain and go, you know what, he actually is a pretty good guy. Because, you know, we all guess people's motives. We all assume we know things. But after that day, I could assume good. I could assume he was for me. I could assume that, okay, he really is, at the end of the day, looking out for me. And I need you to understand that about Jesus. Romans 5.8 tells us this. It says, but God demonstrates, meaning he showed, he performed, he, he said, here it is for the world to see, not just you, but for the world to see. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What great lengths is God willing to go for you? He's willing to step in and pay for the penalty of your sins. What great length is Jesus willing to go for you? He's willing to be hung on a cross. God coming down in Christmas, Jesus, the birth of our Savior reminds us the great lengths in which he will go for us. The reason why he calls us out of sin The reason he forgives us from sin, the reason why he died for our sin is to have a relationship with him. So you can experience true living, your true purpose in this world. 
to my chaplain stepped in for me, he actually ended up fixing the problem. After he got chewed out by this colonel, the next week he came in, the colonel came in and and he sat down and explained. We had this little session and he showed me all the different elements of Catholic service, what he needed, why he needed it. He took the time and my chaplain, by stepping in and, and fixing this, he actually fixed the larger problem to where we could all come together, we could all work together better. And that's how I need you to see Jesus. I need you to see Jesus as God himself who came down to fix your biggest problem. He is God who came down to fix your greatest need. He died so you can have a relationship with him. He died and desires, he died to have a close, intimate relationship with you. And if you haven't settled that, If you haven't settled how much he loves you, if you haven't accepted his grace and his mercy and forgiveness, why not unwrap that this year? Why not this Christmas unwrap the greatest gift you've ever been given? You've already seen how much he loves you. Would you give him your life? See, this story reminds you and it reminds me how each and every one of us can stand up for other people. While we can never do what Jesus did, in fact, we aren't called to, thankfully, we can do what those friends did because we see that Jesus saw that faith, he honored that faith, and he blessed it. So do for one, you know this, we've talked about this before, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And those of you who are Jesus followers, don't discount that one person you can help. This season, this time, don't discount that one person you can step up for. Or maybe that one organization, or maybe that one family. You can do it. And please, listen, please do not get frozen in fear. So many people get frozen in fear because they just want to be fair. But listen, life isn't fair. The Bible never tells us it's going to be fair. In fact, generosity, by its definition, is all about unfairness. It's going above and beyond. It's helping people in need. Don't discount, please, especially this season, don't discount the amazing life change. You can help others experience, and I promise it'll come back to you. You see, this whole story is about unfairness. It was unfair that those friends brought one man. In fact, it's unfair that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Generosity isn't about fairness. But what we do see in this story is when one person comes, when those four friends do for one, that one friend that needed help, we see that Jesus blesses those efforts and gave them a gift so much greater than they were ever expecting. You see, for whatever reason, God chooses to use our efforts and work through us and then bless and multiply those efforts. When they brought their friend, they just wanted physical healing, but they found salvation. Something greater than they could have ever imagined. When my chaplain did that for me, it made a life-changing impression. When he stepped in and stepped up for me during that time, he had no idea that he was teaching me a very extremely important leadership principle. And I tell you that because it made a lasting impression, something I live by and something I actually get in trouble for quite frequently. 
Because he taught me to fight for those that you lead. He told me if that's somebody, if you're in charge or you're a leader, you're a manager, you're owner, whatever position, he taught me that if you were in those positions, those underneath you, you fight for them. And what he showed me has then had a, and what he did for me has had an impact, uh, an impact on multiple other people. He did for one, and then I was able to do for others. God took what he did and multiplied it. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. The truth is you'll never know that lasting impact you have. I saw the story this week I want to share with you. You can watch the whole thing on northpoint.org. Andy Stanley and Charles Stanley, Andy Stanley is Charles Stanley's son. And Charles Stanley has retired recently. And he has a two-part series. Today's the second part, actually. Uh, But last week was an interview with him. And I just want to show you this clip. Watch this. The second story I wanted you to tell about how you got to college. Because the, the point of this is... Your, your confidence in God and your faith in God was not passive. And this is one of the things you taught me. You don't sit back and ask God to do something and then just wait. You, your work ethic has always been extraordinary. At the same time, carving out the right amount of time for family. Somehow you figured all that out on your own. Um, so you have always modeled you work as hard as you can possibly work. And then you trust God to honor your hard work. And so once again, this is what happened with the paper route. And then that leads us to this, uh, this next story is you're trying to figure out how in the world you're going to go to college. So. Right, because I look at 16 to $20 a week and I think, God, I can't even get to Richmond, Virginia, let alone go to college. And so one night my friend and I were standing on the street kind of just talking and um, the pastor of the Baptist church came by. And I don't have been, I don't have been member of that church probably a year, and he didn't know me very well. And so when he was coming down the street, uh, my friend Jillian said, Mr. Hammond, come over here just a moment. And so he told him what I was doing and want to go to school, and the Lord had called me to preach, and I didn't have any money. Could you help me? And he didn't know me. I've been going to church, but not very long at that particular church. So he said, well, come by to see me. So I went by to see him, and we talked for probably an hour or so. To make a long story short, I got a four-year scholarship to the University of Richmond with no explanation. Mm. I couldn't, I know it's... Well, he made a few calls and got you into college right. on that scholarship. But again, there it is again. You, you do what you know to do. Um, God brings the right person along. I mean, here, and when I hear you tell that story, I've heard it so many times, little did he know Little did he know that he was the connector between, you know, this kid, you know, who has a paper route, who just finished high school, who didn't have any money. He was the connector between that unknown kid and, if I can just, you know, brag a bit, Dr. Charles F. Stanley, who's preached the gospel all over the world. And at some point years ago, you were, (laughs) through shortwave radio, radio and television, you were in every single um, major city in the world every single day of the week. And when I think about what hung in the balance, potentially, of his decision to look at this kid, and apparently there was some sort of internal prompting. I mean, how many kids in, in Danville, Virginia, needed a scholarship to college? A lot, right? And yet, for some reason, he took the time to give you the time, and then after that conversation, leveraged his connections to give you that opportunity. And what an extraordinary role he played in your life. And he had, he had no idea. 
And I have seen you do that for so many people through the years. Again, you can't do everything for everybody, but as I say, you know, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And he did for one what I'm sure he wished he could do for everyone. And you have done that as well. And it always makes me stop and think when somebody asks for something specific or something I don't really have the time or the resources to do. I think we have no idea who God brings into our lives, but to be sensitive to that still small voice and to do for one what of course we can't do for everyone. See, that pastor had no idea what he was doing. He probably never knew. You see, Charles Stanley didn't get to First Baptist Land until 20 years later. And he never knew that one pastor, that one person, never knew the impact he would have on the entire world by helping this one boy go to college. Because that one boy became Charles Stanley, who's ministered to millions. And then his son, Andy Stanley, leads one of the largest churches in our country today who ministers to millions. His one decision, helping that one person, has brought the gospel to millions. God blesses and multiply our efforts. Just because that one guy was walking down the road and saw some kids talking on a bike. Those men who carried their friend to Jesus... They tore up personal property. They had no idea that their story would be recorded to inspire billions throughout the years. Billions of people to go that extra mile. So this season, as we think about do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, as we're reminded that only God can do for all and we're not called to do everything, but perhaps we can do something. Maybe there's a phone call you can make. Maybe there's an email you can send. Maybe there's a check you can write. Maybe there's a visit you can make. Maybe there's an employee at work you can do something for. Perhaps that neighbor who doesn't have a family this season you can love on. Or maybe there's that child that you know you could make their Christmas amazing and wonderful. Or maybe, or maybe there's someone you need to get to Jesus this season. Remember those friends, they knew the only answer was Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, God's put someone on your heart. Maybe that one. In fact, if we all had one, we were trying to get the gospel to imagine what God could do with that. We'll talk about that a different day. But maybe, just maybe, maybe you haven't had someone do nice things for you. Or maybe there was never that boss. Or maybe, you know, you know Jesus and you love that. But, but maybe you don't get inspired to help others because no one really helped you. I just want to help you turn that negativity into positivity. Think about it this way. Instead of, for you, instead of doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone, maybe you just need to think this way. Maybe you can do for one what you wish somebody would have done for you. Maybe you can do for one what nobody has ever done for you. Maybe you can change the story. Maybe you could change script saying, listen, I don't know. People haven't helped me. My boss hasn't helped me. And, or whatever that is, maybe you go, but I'm going to help others. I'm going to inspire life change. I'm going to be that person who starts the life change. It's going to start with me, and I'm going to help others. I don't know. I'm trying to give you examples, but here's what I'm very confident in. I'm confident that if you ask God to help you see who he wants you to bless, who he wants you to be generous towards, if you say, God, who do you want me to unleash massive generosity on? If you pray that and ask him, I promise you, he will show you. Because we are reminded this season 
that only God can do for everyone, but we can do something for someone. So do for one what you wish you could do for all and allow the great salvation you have to spur you, to spur you towards good deeds and encourage you to stand in the gap for others. Will you pray with me?